The Falcons got the juice now after trading for Rams wide receiver Van Jefferson. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to another illustrious episode of the Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50 plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. So guys, if you don't know me, I'm your very humble host, Aaron Freeman. Uh, covered the Falcons for many years for uh, at falcfans.com RIP. Right, people know me as Sirius Black, as Mr. Drew, and also as the Falcons Prophet. And we want to give a special shout out to the everydayers that make this illustrious podcast their first listen or first watch each and every day. All they got to do to become an everydayer is subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So the Falcons traded for Van Jefferson today, right? They received Jefferson and a seventh round pick from the LA Rams in 2025. And they give up a sixth round pick to the Rams in 2025. And I like this trade because it brings some much needed juice to this wide receiver core. And we talked about the Falcons trading for Van Jefferson at some point this spring. I want to say it was in March, right? We were, I think it was probably the first time we talked about a DeAndre Hopkins trade. And we talked about how there were other receivers that were much more plausible trades for the Falcons, like Corey Davis. Hunter Rimfro, Tyler Boyd, and Van Jefferson was amongst that group. Now, you know, the profit has returned. But, you know, the Jefferson trade seems now makes a little bit more sense now in hindsight, obviously, uh, because he's in a contract here, like several of those other guys were, but he's on a rookie contract still, while those other guys are on the second contract. So he's much cheaper than those other guys are, right? And so this is kind of a low risk, medium reward type of bet for the Falcons, right? You know, I say medium reward because Jefferson has the upside to be a good player, potentially a number two receiver, but I'm not going to say high reward because it's not as if like you're, you're acquiring Justin Jefferson. Like I, when I saw the tweet, I thought Justin Jefferson, I thought someone was pranking me. And then I read, read it again and it was Van Jefferson. So like high reward would be that sort of thing. But you know, Van Jefferson never really emerged and lived up to his potential in L.A., right? Last year was supposed to be his breakout year uh, where he was going to be the number three alongside Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson. But things got off to a slow start because he suffered a knee injury during the summer. So he started out the year on IR. And by the time he came back midway through the season, you know, pretty much the rest of the Rams roster was decimated. Uh, and so he didn't necessarily, you know, wasn't able to put his best foot forward. And then this year with Cooper Cup uh, starting out the season injured, the expectations, I think, for a lot of folks was that he was going to be the go-to guy in that offense, and then Puka Nakua sort of became that guy. And then Tutu Atwell, of all people, after a quiet couple of seasons, you know, kind of emerged as another option for them. And now that Cooper Cup is back, Jefferson kind of tumbled down that depth chart and maybe we'll get a better opportunity here in Atlanta than he was getting uh, this past year in um, L.A. So Jefferson's a player I liked. Um, you know, when I watched him ahead of the 2020 draft, I saw a player that, 
I thought was a very good route runner, had good speed, good quickness. I thought would be a very effective slot receiver in the NFL. Uh, but unfortunately, because of playing with Cooper Cup, he didn't really get many opportunities there. He was primarily more of a vertical threat in L.A. and was very effective and productive in that role. And so given that we've been spending the last you know four plus weeks talking about the Falcons needing more of a vertical threat in their offense, I, I think this is a, a great pickup for the Atlanta Falcons now. Two other little side notes with Van Jefferson. He rejoins his former college teammate, Kyle Pitts. They played together at Florida for a couple of years. Uh, Jefferson ran a 4-3-9-40 at the Combine, so he does bring some of that juice, much-needed juice. I wouldn't call him like a true, true burner, but certainly a guy that can run uh, and, and certainly brings a lot more juice than a lot of the other receivers outside of Scotty Miller here in Atlanta. The other little tidbit is there's a little bit of an Arthur Smith connection between Van Jefferson because Van Jefferson – is the son of former Falcons wide receiver, Sean Jefferson. You guys may recall Sean Jefferson played around 2000 from, I think, 2000 to 2002. Um, was productive when Chris Chandler was a quarterback. Not so productive when Michael Vick was a quarterback. I think that's more of a Vick issue than a Sean Jefferson issue, but we're not going to get into that. Uh, but Sean Jefferson went on to be a very good coach in the NFL. Was in Tennessee with Arthur Smith during the Wizenhunt years, I think, where Jefferson was the wide receivers coach. And Arthur Smith was still, I think, an assistant tight ends coach during that time. Jefferson's now the wide receiver coach in Carolina. It's part of that quote unquote all-star coaching staff that is so great that you know Carolina remains the only winless team in the NFL. And of course, I got to throw some shade at our division rival uh when I get the opportunity. But because of that Sean Jefferson connection, this is a little bit of a homecoming for Van Jefferson, although he I don't think he was born and raised in Atlanta or anything like that. If he did live in Atlanta, it was only for a couple of years, but um, you know, he probably did get a chance to see his dad uh, play football here in Atlanta when he was a little kid. Um, so somewhat of a homecoming for him. So we'll see sort of how quickly Van Jefferson gets up to speed here. You know, I, I, I my assumption would be it would take roughly a month for the Falcons to feel comfortable with him learning the offense. I, I think back to how long it took Wayne Gallman to learn the offense. And before the Falcons were comfortable playing Wayne Gallman, it took about a month uh, after picking him up. Uh, before they were played him. And, and I would argue that probably playing wide receiver is probably a little bit more complicated than playing running back, or at least theoretically is harder to pick up the offense. But we'll see if the Falcons, you know, wait that long or they kind of sprinkle him in, get him a couple of, you know, reps here or there um, between now and then over the next couple of weeks or something like that. So we'll see what he can do. But, you know, I think the upside is is there. Like if all things go well, like the Falcons may have just acquired their long-term number two. Right, that because Jefferson's only 27, in and has that potential to be a, a number, a quality number two. Like it could be Drake London and Van Jefferson as the team's one and two receivers for several years to come, if if everything goes well. Right now, obviously, this could be another Brian Edwards trade, and Van Jefferson does nothing here in Atlanta like Brian Edwards did, uh, uh you know, in 21. Um, man, it's been so long. Let's hit. It was last year. It was 22. 22 with Brian Edwards. I'm sorry. I'm like, man, it's, it feels so long ago. Feels like it was 2021 when we had Brian Edwards. But um, so we'll see how that goes. But obviously, like, this is a player I've liked for several years. This is a player that I've had my eyes on as a potential Falcon for several months now. So it's, you know, I like this move a lot. And so we'll just see how it all works out. But there's there's some potential here. So definitely, you know, I think 
people should be excited and we'll just sort of have to wait and see if uh you know the falcons can take advantage of van jefferson's skill set um and we'll get into the all 22 review of that week five win over the houston texans and talk about some of the things that arthur smith changed in the offense uh on that second series where the falcons were able to go down the field and score a touchdown um and you know maybe van jefferson fits a little bit better if the offense looks more like that and we'll break down exactly what i mean uh as we continue today's locked on falcons our partners at ebay motors have teamed up with locked on fantasy football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long and whether you're prepping for the daily draft or scouting the waiver wire every week we're going to provide you with players that are guaranteed fit on your roster. So let's see who Vinny has picked out for us on this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. And Baker Mayfield, to the surprise of many, myself included, has become kind of a borderline QB1 in fantasy this year uh, and is enjoying his best and most efficient season as a quote-unquote reality quarterback as well. And with the Bucks coming off a Week 5 bye, he should be able to pass for a high volume in Week 6 against Jared Goff and the Lions at home uh mayfield uh has been locked on to a variety of receivers and the lions struggle to cover slot guys like chris godwin and tied in like kate otten and since the bucks won't be expected to run much against detroit it should lead to pleasing passing digits from baker mayfield i had to pick up baker mayfield myself for one of my fantasy teams due to the anthony richardson injury so Vinny and i are seeing eye to eye on this one so now that Vinny has helped us win our fantasy championship ebay motors knows the championship team is about each player being a perfect fit and the same is true with your vehicle with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly from air filters brakes batteries taillights alternator shock struts whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guarantee fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash baby Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay guarantee fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So let's talk about that second series in the Houston game, which resulted in a touchdown. And that was the first first quarter touchdown of the Falcons in 2023. And only the second time in Desmond Ritter's nine starts now uh, where the Falcons have scored a touchdown in the first quarter. Right. Week 18, that Bucks game last year was the other time. But in looking back at it, I started to realize, like, it's not as if the Falcons were, like, fast starters under Mariota. If my count is not wrong, I think they only scored a first quarter touchdown five times in in the 13 first quarters that Marcus Mariota started. And so we spent a lot of time talking about Desmond Ritter's tendency to start slow. But maybe this is an Arthur Smith issue, right? Because I didn't look it up, and I'm like, the Falcons are, you know, 28th in the NFL in first quarter touchdowns since Arthur Smith's arrival back in 2021. So I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. But we're not going to get into that on today's episode. And we're going to hope that, you know, what we saw in this second series is a sign of a, you know, a dawning of a new day for Arthur Smith uh, in that regard. So the Falcons come out on that second series in 11 personnel on the first two snaps. The first play, they hit Jonu Smith on a play action pass for 13 yards. Then they run my much beloved shovel pass to Scotty Miller. And it's the best three-yard gain I've ever seen. I absolutely love this play call. Uh, I was talking to the Lockdown Falcons Discord over the weekend that basically I was said that if they don't use Scotty Miller as a vertical threat, which they're not, um, at least try to get his speed on the field as a horizontal threat to sort of stretch and stress defenses on jet sweeps and reverses. So this is right up that alley. Um, and so 
I think you can build off of this type of play call in the future and, and give defenses something extra to think about where you're faking the toss left and then you're having Miller motion to the right with the shovel pass. And so it puts defenses potentially in conflict. They, um, you know, account for Miller's motion. That's one less defender to potentially uh, deal with, you know, a Bijan, you know, that's going to be a problem for defenses. And if they overly commit to Bijan, then, you know, Scotty Miller can do his thing. So I like seeing that play call, even if it only goes for three yards uh, in the future. So then on the very next play, you go 13 personnel, three tight end sets, uh, and you get a glimpse of the, much hyped positionless football in that play, right? That Kyle Pitts is split out wide as a wide receiver. Jonu Smith is lined up in the backfield as a running back. And then you run a reverse to Drake London that turns into a pass. No idea if that was the initial design of the play, but hey, you know, the ends justify the means because you hit uh, Jonu Smith on a 22-yard explosive play. So we are happy with that result. And then you go back after that play to your standard heavy personnel again. Uh, 21 personnel, you hand it off to Bijan, you get 13 yards. And we've talked before about how Bijan and Keith Smith in the backfield as your two running backs in that 21 personnel is been a very effective combination for the Falcons. So I have no problem with the Falcons running those types of plays moving forward with their heavy personnel. You go to another heavy personnel grouping, 12 personnel, two tight end sets. You hand it off to Tyler Algier, you only get a yard. I don't think it's a coincidence that that play doesn't work and Michael Pruitt's on the field. That's just me, but you know, not, not a great look there. So second and nine after that modest gain, you dial up a flood concept and you hit Kyle Pitts for 16 yards. And we've talked before about Ritter's ability to hit certain concepts, dagger smash, right? Now you add this flood concept, right? This has been a through line with Ritter. When we run these sort of high, low reads, right? Where you're trying to put a single defender in conflict in the opposing defense's zone coverage and Ritter can read that defender. And then based off of what that defender does, he can hit those throws. He's been able to consistently hit these concepts uh, throughout the season. And when we talk about, you know, intentionality in the offense, the play calling, right? Where the defense is playing a certain zone and you're calling plays designed to attack that zone. That's what we mean by intentionality. And so more of this, please, because this is stuff that Desmond Ritter seems to be doing at a very high level. And then you finish off the drive on the very next play on a quarterback keeper, 11 personnel again. And the third wide receiver, Mac Hollins, in this case, is not really lined up as a wide receiver. He's lined up as an H-back slash tight end. And then you sort of pull him, and he's sort of the lead blocker for Desmond Ritter, who walks in the end zone. And, you know, Desmond, we got we to gotta hold on to the football. You know, it was almost a touchback. Got to hold on to the football. So we got to work on that ball security before we call any more, you know, mobile quarterbacks t- sort of thing. But like to get defense, keep defenses guessing by utilizing Desmond Ritter's legs, especially in the red zone where it can be very effective. So I like seeing all these wrinkles. I like seeing the Falcons take advantage of some of their speed, some of their versatility, utilizing more 11 personnel, three wide receiver sets, taking advantage of Ritter's legs, putting a wide receiver at tight end, putting a tight end at running back. Again, positionless football, all that stuff. The creativity, the diversity that we've been sort of hyping up all offseason in this offense, this drive kind of had it all, right? And so I want to see more of this. Now, as the rest of the game progressed, the Falcons kind of went back to their standard, very heavy personnel, a lot of 12, a lot of 21 personnel stuff. And I won't even say like that was a mistake, although, you know, it wouldn't be my preference because like the Falcons were effective moving the football when utilizing that stuff, but then had some execution errors, you know, turnovers, penalties, negative plays that grounded some of those drives where they were effectively able to move the football in those primarily heavy personnel groupings, grounded those drives to a halt. And so they weren't really 
able to come away with points uh, throughout the rest of the game. But I would like to see the Falcons dialing up more of what we saw on that particular drive. We talked about wanting to see more three wide receiver sets in order to lighten the box so the Falcons could run more effectively. That wasn't really something that was effective in this Houston game because in general, the Falcons weren't that effective running the football outside of a couple of heavy personnel groupings. But you know, we talked about wanting to see like 30% or more 11 personnel for the Falcons moving forward rather than like the 12% they had going into the week. I think now it's up to 14% based off of this game. Um, they only use about 20% 11 personnel or three wide receiver sets in this game. Um, and But on this particular seven play drive, three out of seven is 40%. So I'm like, you know, the more you use, the better it, it looked, at least for one drive. So hopefully now that Van Jefferson is in the mix, the Falcons are moving more in that direction again, not expecting them to abandon the 21 or 12 personnel or the, that heavy personnel altogether. But again, maybe we're moving in that 30%, potentially 40% direction with the Jefferson acquire. So um, we'll talk more about Desmond Ritter's performances and the good and bad I saw from him, as well as talk more about how the Falcons have built their receiver core uh, as we wrap up today's episode. But, you know, if you want to see the plays that I just broke down, join the subtext, right? Subtext is great. You get a one-on-one conversation with me. You get insight that you don't necessarily get on the pod, right? You didn't have to wait until this episode to get my reaction on the Van Jefferson trade. You got it 20 minutes after that trade was first announced. Uh, You also get that one-on-one interaction with me. You get the feedback. It's basically like having my phone number so you can provide whatever you talk to me about whatever you want to talk about right you know that that weird mole on your back you can talk about that if you want to right that's all available for you subtext but of course the primary driver of that maybe you should see a doctor right, <laughs> right? texting me but uh the primary driver is getting that extended all 22 review where you can see all the plays that i just broke down on the second series in hd video um and all you got to do is join subtext is $4.99 a month, but you get a 14-day free trial. Just hit the link in the description below if you're curious. If you're not, you know, join it. No fuss, no must, that sort of thing. So we'll wrap up talking about Ritter's good decision making as well as his accuracy concerns in this game as we wrap up today's locked on Falcons. Now, Jace Medical provides you the Jace case, which includes five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. And you're probably wondering, like, why do I need to stock up on antibiotics? Well, we live in a hectic world, guys, right? You never know when the next supply chain shortage or natural disaster or pandemic is going to hit. And so you don't want to be stuck without access to some of these life-saving medications. So it doesn't hurt to be more prepared now than ever. And I personally deal with sinus and ear infections a bunch. And Jace Medical makes it easy and simple for me to get access to these antibiotics. All you got to do is fill out a simple online form and you potentially get these life-saving medications sent right to your door. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. So save more than $360 by getting these life-saving medications with Jace Medical plus an additional $20 $20 off by using the code locked on at checkout at jacemedical.com. It's J A S E medical.com promo code locked on. So let's talk about Desmond Ritter and his good performance. And I know we spent a lot of time talking about his bad performance. We're not going to spend as much time. I, I, you know, I know sadly to some of you guys talking about his good performance, but I do think he played very well, right? He was more decisive. His decision-making was crisp in this game, which was my biggest complaint from the previous weeks, right? We talked about, 
last week where it was like Arthur Smith was designing plays like to get the ball out quickly into the flat to the open receiver and Ritter was hesitating. He, there was no hesitation on those types of play calls this week from Desmond Ritter. The only real knock on Desmond Ritter that I would have is the accuracy was a little scattershot at times. He was, he was sailing a couple of throws and it goes back to something we talked about after the draft with Desmond Ritter's accuracy concerns. And I thought, again, not being an expert on this, but I thought some of the times where he was asked to sort of speed up his delivery, get the ball out quickly, um, led to the accuracy being a little scattershot. And it seemed like that was the issue here in this uh, Texans game, where a lot of the times where he was high on some of those throws were tight window throws where he was trying to put some little bit more zip on the ball to get the fit the ball into the tight window. So that, was the only issue I had with Desmond Ritter's performance, something to monitor, not something that we're going to make a, a mountain out of a molehill, right? I can live with Desmond Ritter spraying the football from time to time. You know, it was the poor decision-making that was causing me to pull out my hair over the last couple of games more so than that. So no real issues with his decision-making in this game. Uh, so that is something that we can build off in the future. So we'll wrap up answering a YouTube comment from Deontay Watkins, 1990. He asked, Aaron, can you help explain this, please? Now, when I watch tight ends like Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, et cetera, I notice that they are wide open a lot and they often have plenty of yak. And when your wide receivers and especially Kyle Pitts get the ball, when our wide receivers and especially Kyle Pitts get the ball, the defenders are on them immediately. They have almost no yak except for Bijan. What's going on there? So the main issue, Deontay, I think this is a great question. The main issue is, you know, the certain routes that the Falcons are asking their receivers to run versus some of those other receivers, you know, but without getting too in the weeds on, you know, this route versus that route. And again, that's not really my area of expertise. Let's talk about how the Falcons have kind of built their receiver core around their tight end, especially Kyle Pitts. And let's, let's talk about Travis Kelsey for a second, right? Travis Kelsey primarily over the last like four ish years has been almost exclusively an underneath guy. Like most of his routes are and targets are short and intermediate throws. Right. And we know in the, not quite the case this year, but we know in past years, the Chiefs had a very explosive receiver core. And the way that defenses defend teams is they don't want to give up. They focus on the preventing the explosive play and then they, you know, build their defense from that. And so because they were so focused on preventing the Tyreek Hills and the Miko Hardmans and all these Sammy Watkins and all these other guys from generating these explosive plays on the, all the vertical stuff that they were running in Kansas City, it basically meant that Travis Kelsey, as his underneath threat, was just basically able, had all this room to do Travis Kelsey things underneath. And that's why he's, you know, you know, he's been able to be as productive and do some of the things that you're talking about, Deontay, right? And it's not too dissimilar to how the Falcons you know, utilize Austin Hooper and Hayden Hurst when it was Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley here in Atlanta doing all that vertical stuff and defenses were trying to account for that. And that gave those guys a lot of room underneath to do their work. And the Falcons haven't really built that wide receiver core here around Kyle Pitts. And frankly, I kind of think the Falcons have built their wide receiver core wrong right now. Pitts has been primarily a deep threat. And that was especially true last year. It has continued this year, not to the same degree as it was last year. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with asking a tight end to be a deep threat. We saw Mark Andrews be very productive doing that in Baltimore. Gronk basically was a Hall of Fame, you know, arguably the best tight end ever by basically being that seam stretching vertical threat. But when you look at the offenses that Gronk played in in New England, right, it was a lot of receiver cores that featured underneath 
guys like Julian Edelman and Wes Welker, right? Complementary skill sets to what Gronk was doing as the vertical threat. Okay, you complement that with a short and underneath stuff. That's what the Chiefs did with Travis Kelsey in their receiver core. That's what the Falcons did with Hooper and Hurst in, in our former receiver core. We don't really have that complementary skill set with Kyle Pitts, right? If you're going to ask Pitts to be that vertical threat, who are the underneath guys that are going to consistently win that, right? And so I've been thinking about this the last couple of weeks, thinking about Kyle Pitts' usage and, you know, um, and I was thinking about how the Falcons have utilized Pitts quite a bit as an out wide receiver, right? Splitting him out wide like a wide receiver and roughly about a third of his snaps going into this past Sunday were out wide. And it got me thinking about the player that I compared Kyle Pitts to when we drafted him. My eye-level comp for Kyle Pitts was Jimmy Graham. And he was another tight end that back in the day was split out wide a bunch. And I was curious to see, is Pitts being split out wide just as much or, or more or less than Jimmy Graham? And I looked it up, and Graham's last two seasons in New Orleans in 2013 and 2014, he split was split out wide about 20 to 25% of his snaps. So Pitts was getting more looks out wide than Jimmy Graham was. And it, I started digging deeper and looking at the Saints, and I noticed, like, okay, it was Jimmy Graham was one of their receivers, and Marcus Colston was their other primary receiver. And Marcus Colston's skill set is very similar to Drake London. And I'm like, you know, why was it working for the Saints and not working for us with these two sort of two guys, these two types of players as their primary pass catchers? And obviously the difference in Drew Brees and, and, and Desmond Ritter and Marcus Mariota probably is the biggest factor in that. But I also noticed the types of skill sets that the saints surrounded these two guys as the two pillars in their pass uh, attack. And they brought in a bunch of fast guys, Robert Meacham, Joe Morgan, DeVary Henderson, Brandon cooks, Lance Moore, Kenny stills. Right. And so you had these two bigger, slower, you know, types of big pass catchers over the middle of their field. And then you surround them with a lot of fast guys, quick guys, vertical threats and all that sort of stuff. Again, complementary skill sets, right. And, you look at how the Falcons have surrounded Pitts in, in, in London, and they don't get that sort of complimentary skill set. It's a lot of slow guys. It's Mac Collins. It's Brian Edwards. It's Auden Tate. It's Jonu Smith, et cetera, right? And Jonu Smith is fast for a tight end, but like he's not running by you know NFL corners and whatnot. And so what was interesting is in this Houston game, Kyle Pitts spent less time split out wide. Less than 20% of his snaps against Houston were split out wide. And he wasn't also not being utilized primarily as a deep threat as much as he was. He had one 20 plus yard target and there was only 20 yards in the air uh, instead of all the vertical stuff that he's typically run. So the Falcons kind of used him against Houston more as a quote unquote traditional tight end, right? Rather than how they've used him in the past. And is it a coincidence that Pitts had his most productive game of the season? Again, we'll see. Time will tell. We need a larger sample size to draw stronger conclusions. But it does sort of lean credence to that idea that Pitts is better utilized as a traditional tight end than how the Falcons have utilized him in the month prior to this and in last year especially. And then when we look at the London-Colston comparisons, right? Colston was a big slot receiver spent most of his career, over 50% of his snaps playing in slot. We haven't really seen London get that type of usage uh, in Atlanta. We saw last year about 20% of his snaps go in the slot. But what was noticeable is that London saw a vast increase in slot snaps at the end of last season, once Pitts was hurt, that the Falcons primarily used London. And that was a big reason why London's production, that he was very productive slot receiver over those last six or so games. And that led to his production. 
is his explosion in his production uh, last year at the end of the season, where he was one of the more productive wide receivers in the NFL. Now, we haven't seen London utilized as much in the slot. It hasn't been a massive drop-off, again, like 20% to like 17 or 16% or something like that. But you do wonder, is that a reason why London has not picked up where he left off last year, where less opportunities in the slot? And the thing that stood out to me is that he saw more snaps in the slot against the Texans than he had seen prior to the season. 30% of his snaps came in the slot against Houston this past Sunday. Now, granted, he didn't catch any passes when he was in the slot. None of his targets were from the slot. So it wasn't that the slot directly had um, a correlation to him having arguably his most productive game. But it is notable to me that the Falcons seem like they're shifting away from how they've tr- utilized both London and Pitts in the, over the first month. Pitts less out wide, less deep stuff against Houston, improved production. More Drake London in the slot, improved production, right? Um, and then you couple that with Kadero Hodge getting more snaps than Mac Hollins, Scotty Miller seeing increased snaps, and now you add Van Jefferson to the mix. It does feel like the Falcons are kind of moving away from the way that they've been building it, their receiver core, and adding more complementary skill sets to what Pitts and London do, and maybe utilizing Pitts and London in different ways that will allow them to continually to get better production out of those two guys. So time will tell on that issue, but it does give me some promise and some excitement that we will see more consistent and reliable production from this receiver core and Kyle Pitts moving forward. So I hope that answers your question, Deontay, right? That, you know, I I think we can see Pitts starting to look a little bit more like Kelsey and like Pitt Kittle if we start changing the ways that we utilize them. But that is going to be the end of today's episode tomorrow will be crossover thursday with locked on commanders uh continue to make locked on falcons your first listen check out locked on nfl as your second listen join the subtext that's it guys link in the description below appreciate it till then